0: Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my Old Kentucky Podcast. My name is Robert Connie and joining me as always is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today?
1: I'm doing well, Robert. How are you?
0: I'm doing very, very well. Uh, We on the show this week have the election preview. Um, before we talk about that though we also want to mention that we had as a guest this week linda gorton who is the sitting mayor and candidate for re-election in lexington um i you know she's a very high profile person who didn't need to do the show and came on and we were thrilled to have her um she sat with us and talked to us about the city government in lexington for 30 minutes and wanted to talk more i mean it was great i thought the interview went really well uh what did you think jasmine
1: yeah i thought it went really well i've I felt cool that she talked to us a week before the election and I always really like talking to Lexington people no matter who it is because they, they make me feel a little nostalgic because I spent so much time there and it you know just has a special place in my heart. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, at one point in the interview she referenced Herbie's and I was just like, oh man, remember the Herbie and the Rosie and the Linny? I really, you know, I wish we in Louisville had um, names for our trash cans. Uh, we don't though. Lexington does. It's cool. Uh, I really like that. Um, yeah, she's cool. She's great. Um, she's in a she's in a, a race. Um, we have interviews with both candidates for Lexington Mayor, so if you live in Lexington and want to hear from both of them, um, check out the, the interview we did previously with Dave Klo- Kloiber. Um, that was a really good interview as well. Uh, that's a good race. I think they're both good candidates, but but, uh, we were very thrilled that, that she joined us this week um, so so be sure to check that out at the at the second half of the show but this week is the big election preview so we have a couple of different zones that we're gonna talk about we're gonna be talking about the, the state legislature you know not surprisingly that's the thing that uh, uh, we, we care about so we're gonna be talking a lot about where Democrats hope to pick up seats where Republicans hope to pick up seats and just kind of how it all it, we expect it to shake out. Then we're going to talk about these mayor's races. So there, there's two big ones on the ballot Louisville and Lexington. I'm going to be talking about Louisville. Jasmine's going to be talking about Lexington. And the Jasmine has the most complete judicial preview I've ever seen in my entire life, Jasmine. It goes on forever and ever. There's so much stuff in here. Um, we're not going to talk about all of it on the show. Uh, it, we we do want to have a reasonable length podcast, but Jasmine is going to put all of this in the newsletter that will be coming out Friday. So if you are not subscribed to the newsletter, please do that. TinyLetter.com slash MyOldKentuckyNewsletter. Make sure you're, you're subscribed there. Uh, no matter where you are in the state, you've got a race uh, for judge that Jasmine's talking about. So Jasmine, are you, I mean, are you pumped about this? Are you okay, pumped about the really, election preview?
1: It really does not go on forever and ever and it does not really include that much information compared to like the judicial surveys and election previews that media outlets are doing mine just has the very the most basic amount of information about races in jefferson and fayette county
0: all right it doesn't go on forever and ever but it is six full pages of notes about judicial races so that's uh that is what it is um all right let's get started jasmine you ready yeah. All right. So let's talk about the state legislature. All right. What's the most important thing uh, in the state legislature races? And that's that Joe Biden has a 43% national approval rating, and that's a negative 11% net. His disapproval is higher than his approval. Uh, and Republicans have about a 1% edge on the generic ballot. Those are according to 538. I wish I was joking, but, um, you know, <laughs> that's what people vote on. Um, You know, I-, I I wish people voted more on the candidates that were running, uh, researched all the issues that were important. but. But, you know, as a listener to to my old Kentucky podcast, whoever you are listening to this, you you obviously care a lot about state government are probably on the same pages. You might lose uh, sight of the fact, as I do on a regular basis, that this is what people vote on. Uh, People vote based on partisanship. They vote based on um, national politics. And uh, that's that's mostly what happens. So that just keep that in mind as we as we move forward. Um, I I do think that this means, though, it's highly likely that Democrats aren't going to pick up seats. Um, net because you know this is not going to be a good year for Democrats by and large. That's just the the natural, the stochastic way that that, that our our government works. Where if you're uh, in the, your party's in the president's seat, um, they don't do well in the election in the midterm. That's just kind of how it goes. It worked that way for Democrats in Democrats favor in 2018, um, and and you know uh, that that uh, is probably going to flip itself around in 2022. I do think. On top on top of that national sense, a couple of the things locally that are really going to matter um, are redistricting, which has really changed a lot of the districts that people are running in, usually in Republicans' favor, almost always in Republicans' favor, and then also the Dobbs decision, which also in conjunction with the abortion amendment that was put on the ballot may make a big difference in some races. I, I do think that those two things are moving in opposite directions, though, so we'll see how it all shakes out next week. All right. So first up, let's talk about the more hopeful races, places where Democrats hope to pick up seats. I would say first on this list is probably HD 33, which is Kate Turner versus Jason Nemes. Um, This is probably the most hotly contested race. It's the one that's probably gotten the most uh, vicious. uh, But, you know, this is always a pretty competitive seat. And that's to be expected. Jason Nemes has served in the legislature since being elected in 2016. The 33rd is a suburban Louisville seat and was it was very comfortably Republican for a very long time. So before Jason Nemes, there was this dude named Ron Krim. The 33rd is actually my home district, so I know a lot about this. Uh, Ron Krim was very content to sit on the back bench of the Republican caucus and just kind of like do service for the folks of the 33rd in Louisville and also just, you know, um, get get things done as they needed to in Frankfurt. Jason Nemes has taken a much more active role in his position. He's out front. He's tweeting a lot. He's talking a lot. He's um taking a big active role in in government in Frankfurt. Um, And and he certainly caught the eye of a lot of Democrats. A lot of Democrats really don't like Jason Nemes. Um, And and, you know, as Louisville has gotten more democratic, especially in the suburbs, uh, Jason Nemes is facing pretty stiff Competition. You know, he won his first election in 2016 in that Trump wave by 11%. But then in 2018, in a race that really nobody saw coming, he won by 2%, just a very, very, very slight margin. And then he won in 2020 by about 8%. He bounced back just slightly. The district has gotten a lot more Republican, though, because it's added more of Oldham County in redistricting. But, but Democrat Kate Turner has been running really hard in this race. She's actually in Oldham County. She lives in Oldham County, um, so that might help her out with, with the, that part of the district. And she's gotten some backing from the Democratic Party, a couple of mailers against Jason Nemus that were paid for by the KDP but nemus has also seen significant spending on his own campaign by outside forces this district has been among the biggest targets uh, for democrats in several cycles and has lots of forces colliding all around it i I think it's going to be the one that i watch the most closely jasmine any hd 33 thoughts
1: um i think that you've gotten it right but i do think it even though he had a really close race in 2018 I, I think it's gotten a lot tougher with redistricting. This used to be my district, and my precinct has been cut out of it, and it adds more of Oldham County. So I I do think it's been made more difficult. And so, I, I, I think, think that the- I think the next one that you're going to talk about, I'm I'm watching
0: maybe at, just as close at least as closely yeah i think that that's totally yeah. fair i think both of these are just kind of one and two in terms of the the thing the ones that the democrats are the most hopeful for so this next one we want to talk about is hd 48 kind of I think it's neighboring 33 it's it's in North Louisville Northeast Louisville um, Maria Sorolis and Ken Fleming so Sorolis and Fleming are on their fourth straight election against one another we had Maria Sorolis on the show last week so go listen to her if you haven't heard that that show yet um right now Ken Fleming has won twice and Sorolis has won once so if she wins she ties their overall record so in 2016 Ken Fleming actually won by 15% a pretty substantial win but Sorolis kind of impressed everybody by taking the election in 2018 by 300 votes that's about one and a half percent and then in 2020 the election was almost as close with fleming winning by 20 by about 600 votes so this district um you know it's been very close lately but just like you mentioned jasmine it also has been made much more republican it picked up a big republican precinct in oldham county and actually also added some affluent uh areas inside of Louisville along the Ohio river. Um, they usually vote democratic, but also, um, you know, they might be a better fit with Ken Fleming potentially. So, these people, this district, uh, ha- it has made some changes, but these voters are mostly very familiar with Maria Sorolis and Ken Fleming, uh, and it will be uh, it'll be a closely watched election. I think in both 33 and 48, the abortion amendment are going to be helpful for Democrats, mm-hmm. and redistricting is working against them, so we'll see how those forces kind of collide in these two, these two races. So you already mentioned HD48. You said you're watching it very closely. Uh, anything else you want to say about that race? Yeah,
1: so I think... This district, I I know a lot of women who live in this district, women, like progressive women of my age or a little older who have recently bought homes in this area. And the abortion issue is really important to them. They're all organizing around it. There's a ton of Protect Kentucky Access signs around this area. And so I I think that there's... There's a lot of progressive women in this like northeastern part of Louisville, and mm. but I I don't know if that's enough to win the Oldham County. Yeah, to part to of
0: overcome like, the you know, Oldham County part but, of it. Yeah.
1: But you know, I think I think that the abortion issue is is just like key in these like suburban, more white districts like this one and and the 33rd.
0: Yep, I think you're right. All right, so those are the two Louisville districts we wanted to talk about. Let's move to Central Kentucky HD 56, and that's Grayson Vandegrift versus Daniel Pfister. The Versailles house seat had been a Democratic stronghold for generations be- before Daniel Pfister won it by about 4.5% in 2020. And unlike nearly every election prior, the 2020 election featured a Democratic candidate from Lexington, which is unusual. This Versailles is not big enough. Woodford County is not big enough to have a seat by its own, so it had like taken some Lexington vote. Um, and and the candidate in 2020 who we really liked, Lamar uh, Lamar Allen, was from Lexington. So, but that could have been a reason why Versailles, why Woodford County didn't want to vote for the Democrat that time. I don't know. There there are lots of other potential reasons as well. But now, the Democrat running is from Midway. Uh, he is from Woodford County. It's another Woodford County Democrat running in this Woodford County based seat you know there has been some controversy in this race it was uncovered that vandegrift had said some bad stuff about hillary clinton during the 2008 presidential race i think what he said was pretty bad but i don't imagine that anybody outside of like lexington and louisville are gonna like suffer politically because they insulted hillary clinton i just i don't i don't know uh she's not that popular in kentucky um uh i think that this um this race is gonna be close it's been trending Republican as everywhere outside of Louisville and Lexington have but the Democratic roots in this area are really really deep and strong and the Democrats here are pretty well organized so we will see what happens uh, in, in this race I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a pretty imp- a pretty big pickup opportunity for Democrats in this seat anything you have to say about 56
1: yeah I think this is one this is this is a race that you assured me that a Democrat would win the last time <laughs> and, and- and it didn't happen um and so so i think that we'd like to hope it it flips back but yeah this controversy thing is, is really is really strange and i I don't know what to think about it so i don't really know what way it's gonna go
0: yeah <laughs> we'll we'll see you soon uh next week okay um a play a a seat that is actually would be considered a flip would be hd 93 so this is this is lamine swan versus kyle whalen Um, This district moved from eastern Kentucky to Lexington with redistricting. Um, You know, that was bound to happen with the population changes. Eastern Kentucky is getting a lot less populated, so they lost an entire house seat and it moved to to Lexington. Um, And and this area is quite democratic, even on the federal level. Um, They voted for, um, you know, Amy McGrath in 2018 and I believe in 2020. We don't have precinct level data for 2020, so I don't know that for sure. Um, But, you know, I actually even think Joe Biden, well, we don't have that that level of data in Lexington, but um, it is very competitive for Democrats. It's actually probably a Democratic favored district. Lamine Swan has been active in Democratic politics for a long time, but Kyle Whalen has raised a lot more money than him. Whalen gave himself more than forty thousand dollars, not something that Lemine Swan, I think, was in position to do. Um, and then also he's gotten a max contribution from Joe Kraft. Kyle Whalen has, and then also Kyle Whalen got twelve thousand dollars from the House Republican Caucus. So this is an uphill battle for Republicans It's a Democratic seat, but they're really trying to keep this one in their column. They are fighting uh, fights in. All of the and a lot of seats to try to, to, to uh, expand their majority even further, which we'll talk about in the second part of this. Uh, but they are trying to keep HD ninety three. So anything about ninety three you want to talk about, Jasmine? Uh,
1: no, but I do I do feel good about the demographics in this one. So maybe this is one where we can have a Democrat.
0: Yeah, I think okay. I think I think it's I think it's probably the one that's most likely to flip for Democrats. Okay, HD69, which is Chris Brown versus Stephen Doan. So um adam canig lost his primary to a liberty republican which i think probably put this seat in some level of play for democrats it was won by governor Bashir and heather french henry back in 2019 but all things considered that was a pretty good year for democrats this this seat sits within the fastest growing area of kentucky and democrats have done increasingly well in kenton county which is where half the seat is it's more of a reach than the other seats we've talked about but if it ends up being a good night for democrats this is a seat to watch anything about 69 you want to say
1: um, I don't think so. I, I think there's a couple kind of liberty Republicans, and I, I'm honestly not sure like which kind Steve Don is. I think there are these like liberty candidates who can kind of hold it together and act pretty normal, and and some that can't. And I don't, <laughs> I don't know enough about this race to know you know what the perception of him is, and like whether moderate Republicans will vote for him. Um, so I, I don't have a good hold on this race one way or the other to know. Yeah.
0: All right. So, so you know, those first few seats, um, the one, two, three, um, you know, the two in Louisville, the one in uh, um, Woodford County and um, the one in Lexington and uh, the one in northern Kentucky. Those are the ones that I think are um, pl- ones that Democrats are going to be watching. If for whatever reason it ends up being a really good night for Democrats, there isn't a lot of data that points to that being the case. But if there if it is, um, here are some other seats I will be watching. And that's uh, 73, which is Tommy Adams versus Ryan Dotson, 68, which is Kelly Jones versus Mike Kleins, 11, which is Velvet Dowdy versus Jonathan Dixon, 70, which is Megan Brandon versus William Lawrence, eight, which is Pam Dossett versus Walker Thomas, 15, which is Britt Hernandez-Stevenson and Rebecca Raymer, and 91, which is Martina Jackson versus Bill Wesley. Anything about any of those you want to say, Jasmine?
1: No, but those are a lot of people that we talked to on the show, and
0: and I will say about uh, this. I wish
1: all of them luck. Yeah,
0: I, I think all of them are really good candidates.
1: They are. Yeah,
0: and and I mean, I well, no matter what happens, I hope you know some of them win. I hope all of them win. But if none of them win, I hope that they stick around. I mean, this has been yeah. a. I mean, I, I Jasmine, we've been doing this for three cycles at this point. You know, 16, 18. Well, no six, more than that. No, eighteen. 19, 20 and 22, if you count 19. So this will be our third legislative cycle. Um, and I think that this crop of candidates is, is the, the ones I've been the most like excited about as candidates uh, for what they believe in and their vision for Kentucky's future. So no matter what happens, you know, it's going to take a long time to build a progressive movement in Kentucky. But I do think all of those people are part of it. And I hope they stick around no matter what. If you're if you're listening, stick around. (laughs) All right. So those are the House seats I wanted to talk about. There are actually some Senate seats that Democrats stand a chance to flip. So let's talk about them. First of all, Senate District 34. That is Susan Sintra versus Jared Carpenter. Uh, Susan helped me uh, co-host one time when you were missing. So this seat was won by Governor Bashir back in 2019. And Susan Sintra is running hard for this Madison and Fayette County seat carpenter has way more money than Sintra, but in a good election i do think that the seat can flip but democrats have had a lot of hopes dashed in in madison county so Mm, so this is going to be a tough one um but anything that you want to say about sd34 jasmine Mm -mm. yeah um she's an educator that always kind of works in in your favor um and and i do know that madison county has this you know their 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 public school system is an important part of the the community there so that's one another, another thing All right, SD24 in Northern Kentucky, Renee Heinrich and Shelley Funky-Frohmeyer. This is actually an open seat because Will Schroeder has decided to to no longer be a state senator. Rene Heinrich has outraised her opponent and has been working really hard in this Northern Kentucky seat. This is probably, I think, Democrats' best chance to pick up a Senate seat. It's a really heavily urban-rural split with, I think, half the district kind of in Campbell County, Northern Campbell County, which is pretty good territory for Democrats and the other half in southern campbell county uh once you know the cincinnati suburbs end that map just turns as red as it can be um but you know Renee heinrich has been working hard and and stands a pretty good chance she was a a a great interview i don't think you were there for that one jasmine but but i am excited about her and i hope uh she she wins on on tuesday anything you want to say about sd24 Mm -mm. all right um next up sd20 which is Teresa barton versus gex william or wait a minute it's not gex it's pronounced uh it, what how do you say it i forget how you say it it's is like it, like jeff or like it's something weird it's Gex,
1: but he, he goes by jay so. jay
0: it is it's j williams that's right g-e-x i guess it's french <laughs> anyways uh this is a seat that's in central kentucky it starts in franklin county and runs up to southern boone county um, Jay Williams is a former legislator. He's running as a Liberty Republican. I think he's one of those Liberty Republicans, though, that, like Jasmine, you say, he, he kind of presents his normal some of the time. And, you know, he's been on the legislature before. He kind of knows what's going on. But there's definitely that libertiness that's just beneath the surface with him. Um, so, Teresa Barton has a long history of public service. She was the Franklin County Judge Executive. People really liked her in that job. Um, she seemed like she got a lot done. Uh, I I don't think you were on that interview with her either, Jasmine. It was a really interesting conversation talking to her about uh, Franklin County government when she was doing that. This race has gotten kind of weird. There's been some claims of st- sign sealing, of, like people taking people's signs and, and other shenanigans. Uh, this is a Bashir district, uh, and Barton is really well known in, in Franklin County. I think she has a shot to win here Franklin county really comes out for if she wins franklin county by like 10 points or something like that she's got a po- a chance to overwhelm the the, the loss that she's inevitably going to face there in boone county and the other kind of middle counties uh in owen and gallatin i think maybe in in that seat so that's sd20 anything else you want to say about that one jasmine all righty and then lastly um on the places where democrats hope to be competitive sd22 so Chuck Eddie versus Donald Douglas. So Donald Douglas is the incumbent who won a seat after the death of Tom Buford. Um, he's had a starring role during the past legislative session, but uh, District Twenty Two is one of the better seats for Democrats. Chuck Eddie is a Democratic activist. This seat was won by Governor Bashir in nineteen. So you know some sort of chance to pick it up, but it's going to be tough. But you know the Democrats are giving this one a chance. Uh, anything you want to say about Twenty Two? No, this.
1: Okay. Donald Douglas had a really tough primary with a Liberty candidate.
0: That's right. Um, That's so
1: right. So, I, you know, I don't know.
0: That um, might have dam- might have damaged his brand.
1: Yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know.
0: All right, um, let's move on um, to the the less less hopeful side of things. Places where Republicans hope to pick up seats. All right. 31 that is sue foster versus susan tyler whitten so district 31's current incumbent is josie raymond but due to district uh, redistricting the seat became open um so while susan tyler Witten was kicked off the ballot last week we talked about that on the show um she's back on it now so she won her appeal and would be on the ballot so back in 2019 the southeast louisville district went heavily for governor Bashir and heather french henry but actually daniel cameron won it over greg stumbo by a few hundred votes joe biden carried the this district so it's pretty democratic he won that by about 800 votes but the the dynamics of the campaign have been kind of weird and i I don't know if sue foster has has run quite as hard as some of the other folks in uh in this election so it'll be interesting to see if democrats are able to hold the 31st um we talked about 31 last week jasmine but anything else you want to add there
1: yeah i i live really close to this district i'm outside it but it's kind of like right around where i live and I remember early in the cycle thinking this was going to be a place that Democrats could pick up a seat. And it had a really competitive primary um, with Derek Pinwell. And I've just been surprised. I, I just haven't seen really much of any Sue Foster stuff. Yeah. And so I don't really know what happened.
0: Yeah well, we will see. We will see what happens here. Um, regardless, uh, I mean, this is something we can kind of get to. I think that the legislative maps may change based on lawsuits, which were supposed to come out already, but haven't yet. Um, so we'll, we'll see what the status of these maps are. But even if this district stays the way it is, um, this is a, a prime spot for Democrats where we should have a good candidate no matter what. If Sue Foster wins, um, you know, she'll be able to, to, to try to hold it. But if, if she loses, I think um, we're not going to want for candidates here. Uh, we'll be able, to recruit here and i think we'll be able to win it at some point in the future if we lose it this time all right i'm going to talk about the next two in conjunction with one another they're hd 37 and hd 28 um 37 is jeff donahue versus emily calloway 28 is charlie miller versus jared bauman these two are both in south louisville they both feature long-term democratic incumbents um which uh who you know are well-known in the districts where they've been running but their districts have been shifted to to become much much more republican so um you know jeff jeff donahue um his district donald trump actually won it by 1700 votes uh yeah calloway has a ton of support from groups like the fop and kentucky right to life as does jared bauman i think both of them are getting money from the fop um, uh you know and they're also seeing heavy spending from the Republican uh, cam- caucus campaign committee uh, and-, and maybe even some county the uh, county level Republican parties. The crafts are involved in both races um, So these both are races that were redrawn to be much more favorable to Republicans. They've been heavily spent by younger Republican, uh challengers and the incumbent democrats uh are are really banking on uh, how well they've been known by their by their home districts uh the people who voted for them in the past they're very popular with them they're well connected with these places but these are strong former union areas where um we will see what matters Uh, i'm interested redistricting obviously made these things much more republican but Jasmine, what we had talked about in the, the Democratic target seats was the the impact, impact of Amendment 2. And those are in East Louisville, the suburbans, the more affluent areas uh, of Louisville. And we just kind of thought, obviously, the abortion amendment stuff was really going to matter in those races. What do you think about the impact of Amendment 2 in the South Louisville districts that Republicans are really targeting and trying to take down uh, Democratic incumbents?
1: Oh, I don't know if Amendment too is going to matter as much there but it but it really might because i am kind of from areas like that um you know i where i'm from in bullitt county i grew up with a lot of people who are trump supporters but they're not anti abortion because they knew people who had abortions in high school or experience sexual assault in high school or you know like i i know a ton of trump supporters that i grew up with who aren't pro-life or anti-abortion and so i don't know it could have some kind of impact but i guess i don't um it's not necessarily i i think of these suburban races having I think of it having a greater impact on those races, but I definitely think it could still have an impact in in a race like like these two as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I mean, Charlie Charlie Miller, I think, is nominally um, anti-abortion. I think he's voted um, for, for a lot of the pro-life bills in the past. But actually, Charlie Miller uh, has run in a district where Donald Trump won both times. Um, you know, J- Jeff Donahue and Charlie Miller are different than Joe Biden. They're different than Charles Booker. They're yeah. different than a lot of these people. They, they are South Louisville. Like, Charlie Miller was and, a principal at PRP High School, well-known in that area. Jeff Donahue has been well-connected to the labor movement for a very long time. Yeah. So, so you know. How much is that going to matter? I think a lot. It has in the past. We'll see if it's if it continues to. The Republicans are really pushing into Louisville, um, and, and I think these two are are in danger of flipping. But we will see how strong the two brands of these South Louisville Democrats are.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing too. Like a lot of labor people are, you know, strong pro labor, and they vote for Democrats because they're pro labor and they get the labor endorsements. But they're they're pretty like pro-life and yeah so that that's an interesting dynamic
0: we, we've too. got all kinds of dynamics to be paying attention to in these races for sure so we'll see how it all shakes yeah, out next and week. i
1: definitely think 28 and 37 are, are very very similar yeah
0: they they really are only more similar now than they were before even All right, um, these next two I'm also going to talk about in conjunction with one another. So Angie Hatton versus Jacob Justice in 94 and Ashley Tackett Lafferty and Brandon Spencer in 95. So both of these are... are female democratic incumbents that are are kind of new to the legislature they both joined since 2016 i think Attack tackett lafferty won in 2018 um but they are in deep 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 red territory donald trump territory donald trump like 70 30 type districts for both of these places but both of these women have strong brands associated with eastern kentucky that will, they hope c- will carry the day for them um Amazingly, Angie Hatton has not faced an opponent since her initial election in 2016, which is crazy to think about, but she is facing a pretty strong challenge this year. Um, redistricting really hurt Angie Hatton. She lost all of her Pikeville districts. Pike County is very, very Republican, but Pikeville is actually quite Democratic. Um, she was got her Pikeville district, uh, precincts taken away, and she got East Pike County, which is much more Republican, and she picked up a good chunk of Harlan, which is much more Republican than Letcher County, her home county. Um, uh, this is going to be tough for her, but she was way out in front with uh, during the, the storms, during uh, the disaster down there, so I think she actually has a pretty strong brand we'll see if that will be able to 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 win the race for her um i do think it hurts her quite a bit that she's a democrat in in this area representative hatton has strongly outraced her opponent though ashley tackett lafferty's opponent has um not really run as strong a campaign i don't think as angie hatton's i don't really know much about that guy um and i wasn't really able to find find much um it's impossible to say this isn't in play because it is just so republican uh, on the federal level um but but i think ashley tackett lafferty probably stands a little bit better a chance to survive than angie hatton but but we will see floyd county and Letcher county are unique down there they're still pretty democratic areas um but we will see if the extra areas around those places um will be won by um will be won by enough by republicans to flip the seats um anything you want to talk about with our eastern kentucky democrats
1: no, uh, they've been the two that, that survived. So. Yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, in Ashley Tackett, Lafferty's case, I mean, that seat flipped, right? That seat flipped Republican in 16, and she won it back in 18. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, you know, that's, that's something. All right, um, one that's really tough is 88, Sherilyn Stevenson and Jim Coleman nobody was more closely targeted in redistricting than sherilyn stevenson they took her entire district away and like drew a crazy crescent shaped district to give her areas that were like far far away from her south lexington home that were all the way up in like georgetown and stuff so you know the the gop is targeting this race in a a big way they are out to get sherilyn Stevenson for whatever reason Lots of big money has been making its way to Jim Coleman, and the race has turned pretty negative. Sherilyn actually has kept pace in fundraising, which I think is pretty impressive given the amount of money that, that Republican uh, PACs and, and super donors are giving to Jim Coleman, um, and the Democratic Party has stepped in and done some mail for her. Um, Sherilyn Stevenson only knows close races. Uh, this one is probably going to be the same. Uh, what do you have to say about 88, Jasmine?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be really hard for Sherilyn Stevenson. I read the Herald Leaders article; uh, they just endorsed her, but it was like very, very complimentary of Jim Coleman. It was like, we think Jim Coleman is a star, superstar, so great, but we we just think. We're going to endorse Cheryl. And
0: it was really weird. <laughs> got to keep got to keep the access there. If he ends up winning, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, I will say one thing, too, like Republicans have pretty distinctively gone out of their way to recruit black candidates. I think that's to their credit. Like, I mean, obviously, yeah, absolutely. yeah I, 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 I don't think I that they're in step with what, what the mainstream African-American in Kentucky thinks about much. But I do think it, it's to their credit that they want to diversify their ranks and not be as white. Um, so good for them. Uh, this is a Jim Coleman is black. Um, so is Donald Douglas and a few others um, on this list as well on the Republican side. All right. The and next not,
1: one. not just black candidates, like young women candidates. Yeah. They're, they're doing a good
0: job I mean th- that was a criticism that we've had of the Republican Party for a long time and they're you know they're actually doing something about it and we got you know you got to give them credit where where they've been able to make some inroads so we'll see how many of them are able to win all right uh, HD 65 um, P- buddy Wheatley and Stephanie Dietz similar to 31 and 37 the new 65 was won by Bashir and Henry but not by Stumbo in 19. Dietz has been self-funding a lot of the money in this race, but has gotten some GOP PAC money and money from the crafts. Buddy Wheatley is a good campaigner. He's loved by everyone who has a conversation with him, but the district is just not as favorable as it was before, so it is a Republican target. I think Buddy is going to win this race, but I do think it's going to be uh, close, and if I end up having a bad night, um, he may lose. I don't know. I've, I've said Democrats are going to win races that they lost lots and lots of times before, Jasmine. Um, anything you want to say about 65? No. Nah. All right, twenty. Patty Minter and Kevin Jackson. This is a huge target for Republicans, similar to Sherilyn Stevenson in the eighty eighth. Um, they have cut up this district in a way that just specifically targeted Patty Minter. They cracked Bowling Green into different districts, and um, you know they have been pouring money into Mister Jackson's campaign. He's raised more than one hundred and fifty five thousand dollars, in self funding. Patty Minter though has kept pace, raising one hundred and forty five thousand dollars herself. Bowling Green has established itself as a bit of a progressive enclave in Kentucky, but of course, this district includes less of the dense part of the city and more of the suburbs. It was won by Bashir and Henry, but not Stumbo. It's going to be tough for Patty Minter, but, um, you know, she also knows close races. She also know, knows tough races, and she has a very strong brand in Bowling Green. We'll see if that's enough to protect her. Anything about 20 you want to say?
1: No, I don't think so. I. I don't know. I kind of feel good about Patty Minter keeping her seat just because of her community involvement in Bowling Green and at Western. And I think Bowling Green is becoming a more progressive place, even though they've tried to cut her out in redistricting. I feel a little bit okay about this one.
0: Yeah, I I hope so all right the only senate race i want to talk about on, uh, that is a target for republicans is sb10 or sd10 they're definitely going to win this one because incumbent uh, democrat dennis parrott decided to retire and democrats didn't recruit a replacement um they were probably going to lose anyway this is a pretty republican seat um i understand why it's tough to recruit in some of these senate districts dennis parrott once he hung it up was inevitably going to turn his seat over to a republican um i wish that we had a candidate but uh, it's yeah. tough in seats like this so uh, that's a pickup for Republicans. Um, a couple bonus seats just in like a really good day for Republicans, which is definitely possible, is HD 67, Rachel Roberts and Jerry Deer- Gearding. Rachel Roberts made out a little better than Buddy Wheatley in this map. Her opponent is a little bit less good. Uh, I think she's going to be in good shape, but in a collapse, she she could she could lose. Same for SD 26, which is Karen Berg and James Peden. James Peden is actually a pretty good candidate. He's a Louisville Metro Council member. He's been in government for a long time. He's trying to jump to the state Senate. But Karen Berg, you know, has a bunch of money after she went viral, has a lot of money. This is a stretch for Republicans. But in the same sort of way, if there's a collapse, she may lose. Woof. All right, Jasmine, every year you say I'm too optimistic. How do you feel about my takes this year?
1: I think generally I think all of these seats are hard to win. <laughs> and I think that I, I think that Democrats are, are going to lose more seats. I just don't know which ones.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it could kind of go in both directions where there's some that are pickups and some that are right. losses. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that I think that maybe Patty Minter and Angie Hatton can hold on. Um, I think that Republicans can probably Um, Pick up that District 31, which was previously Josie Raymond's seat, Um, and then I I feel good about maybe one of the Louisville seats um, and that new Lexington seat, Um, and then the others I... I'm pretty worried about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think Democrats are going to lose, like, 15 seats like they did before. Um, But, you know, they, they may lose two or three, maybe five, maybe more. But they could also, like... Keep it the same, um, even though some seats trade hands. Um, only time will tell. We'll see you next week. We'll be talking about it. All right, let's talk about these mayor's races. I'll keep talking, just because why not? Um, Craig Greenberg versus D- Bill Deerreff is the mayor's race in Louisville. Um, the general election in Louisville has been just as active as the primary. Uh, and I have to say, throughout you know this process, I think it's been a bit of a breath of fresh air across the spectrum. Um, this race has been very fiercely contested along very serious and important issues. I think issues have been a big part of the campaign, um, but really with a high degree of decorum and respect. You know, these two guys show up in forums all the time. They they speak. They don't get mad at each other. They don't yell at each other. They talk about the issues. And honestly, um, I think it's been a well contested campaign. It's like we're living in the 2000s or something. Um, Craig Greenberg has been working really, really hard to separate himself from Greg Fisher. I think that is the thing I have to say about this race. Um, Greg Fisher is not popular in Louisville. Um, Craig Greenberg has also been working hard to keep uh, this race top of mind among folks in Louisville. Uh, To do this, he's announced fresh policies for things like gun safety and abortion, which in many ways um, pick fights with state government, which I think is kind of something progressive Democrats in Louisville want to do. However, Republicans have often, you know, kind of like mocked his proposals, especially around like gun safety as not strong enough or supportive enough of law enforcement. And, you know, if there's an issue that they have an advantage on, it's probably public safety, um, where, you know, tough on crime has been a successful strategy for the Republicans have employed for a long, long time. Um, I think, uh, you know, Bill Dieruff seems to be mostly about yard signs. That seems to be what his campaign is mostly about. He's got a ton of them out there. Just, I mean, so many people have called me stressed out that Bill Dieruff is going to win because they see so many yard signs.
1: This is so true. I was at, like, I was at a baby shower the other day, and people ask me questions about politics, and they're like, Should we be worried about (laughs) how many yard signs he has? And I was like, I really don't think so.
0: yeah uh but yes it is definitely stressing people out uh, a lot of people like hey there's a i saw a house that had a bill dearth and a morgan mcgarvey yard sign what are we gonna do i'm like there will be people splitting their ticket the other way too you know it's just kind of like i think they've gotten yard signs into everybody that's voting for them's yards um i've only really seen one tv ad for bill dearth and it was really kind of like low quality i was kind the of one
1: with the the child
0: maybe there's another one out there he I has
1: an ad with a kid There's an ad with a kid, and the kid's like, I'm not voting for that green guy.
0: (laughs) No, I haven't seen that one. If
1: I could vote, I'm voting for... Bill Dira.
0: No, I have not it's seen that really one.
1: It's really
0: weird. All right. Well, yeah, I, I, I think his ads have been um, kind of hit or miss. Uh, he's also kind of, you know, trailed in getting his ideas in the news. I don't think he's worked as hard to be front and center in, in the news um, as Craig Greenberg. He has much more conservative views on policing and public safety. But, I, I mean, I think he's mostly been able to frame himself as a moderate. That was his goal. I think he was successful in doing that. But I think that was important for him to be able to frame Craig Greenberg. Greenberg as like a radical leftist type person, and I do not think he was successful in doing this. I think when this race comes down to it, it is a moderate Democrat versus a moderate Republican, and I think in Louisville that favors the moderate Democrat. Um, yeah. You know, this is this is potentially a bad year for Democrats. Um, So I think that this race could be close. But Greg Fischer won this race by 20 points. Joe Biden just won Louisville by 21 points in 2020. Um, Louisville's been getting more and more democratic as time goes along. Um, I I think that the secular trend is for Louisville to get more and more democratic. So even if this race may be like three at worst i think potentially like three or four points i think more likely six to ten potentially even 12 to 14 just based on um you know how democratic this year is how much amendment two really matters i think craig greenberg's gonna win um the margin though is not something i'm I'm confident in predicting anything you want to say about the louisville mayor's race jasmine
1: yeah i think I think the margin could be closer. And the only reason I think that is because I don't think a lot of more progressive people are excited about Craig Greenberg. And I think that if they turn out to vote, it's because they are turning out to vote on Amendment 2 or Mm -hmm. whatever um, federal, like congressional or Senate race or judicial race they care about. And they might just leave that race
0: blank. I don't know if they'll leave it blank. I think the fact that they bit, Amendment 2 is on well, the there ballot. Is
1: so, there is a socialist canon. Yeah.
0: Well, I think the fact that Amendment, I think that the thing that Craig Greenberg's mostly worried about is people not showing up. I think Amendment 2 gets them in the ballot box. And, and yeah. when they're there, are you know, they the voting booth. And because they're there, they probably will vote for Craig Greenberg or some number of them that wouldn't have voted will end up voting for Craig Greenberg. So we'll see. All right. Tell us yeah. about Lexington.
1: All right. So Lexington is uh, Linda Gorton, our podcast guest, uh, versus David Kloiber, our podcast guest from a few weeks ago. And that's a nonpartisan race. Um, Linda Gorton ran away with the primary, getting 71 percent of the vote. The battle for second place was tight between David Kloiber and Adrian Wallace, with Kloiber getting 14 percent to Wallace's 13.1 percent. Kloiber's receipts total nearly six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Um, But he's largely self-funded, whereas Gorton's total is around $150,000. Kloiber is endorsed by Bluegrass Central Labor Council, uh, UFCW, Local 227, and Teamsters. um, And Gorton is endorsed by the Herald Leader and Seafair. But running against an incumbent like Linda Gorton is just an uphill battle. My guess is the the goal of running there would be maybe the hope of pushing her a little further left on policies. Um, David Kloiber talks a lot about housing and having a more modern and vibrant city. And on here, he seemed to have maybe a little more progressive vision for public safety. But with his money, he he's running a lot of television ads, and and he's running ads attacking Gorton for Lexington's homicide rates, though. And and most people in criminal justice reform spaces know that homicide rates don't usually like tell the the whole story, and and but crime is certainly something that gets voters riled up, and so that's one way that he might be able to get people to turn on the person in office who has experience. Um, so I, you know, I guess that's his strategy to maybe get people to turn out and vote for him. Um, but even if that's true, I just don't think it's going to be enough to defeat Linda Gorton or maybe even come close. I think that she will come away, um, with over 60% of the vote, maybe somewhere around 65 to 70%. What do you think, Robert?
0: I think you're dead on. Uh, I mean, the ads, we'll see how much impact they make. I think, you know, obviously political advertisement, especially on television, has got less and less salient over the the decades. Um, But yeah, I I mean, Linda Gordon, I think um is not unpopular i think she's actually quite popular um david kloiber is facing a huge uphill battle um you know hopefully he sticks around i really liked him when he was on the show you know maybe he'll run for council at large or something like that the next time around um and you know we'll see what happens there but uh i think linda gordon's probably got it in the bag for this time
1: yeah i think she just provides pretty like calm effective leadership in lexington and i think she will probably sail through to victory.
0: Yep. All right. We've got a big, big judge races preview. Um, we've already been talking for 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, what part of it do you want to talk about? Let's let's just get into it.
1: All right. So let's talk a little bit about the appellate races. So um, every eight years, we have an election year where terms are up for District Court, Circuit Court, Court of Appeals, and some of the Supreme Court seats. So you're going to probably see a lot of judicial races on the back of your ballot, especially in larger counties. Um, So for the Supreme Court, four of the seven justices' terms are expiring. Um, Chief Justice Minton is retiring. His seat, the second seat, is open. And Kelly Thompson is running against Sean Alcott for that seat. Um, And that is in Bowling Green and surrounding counties. We talked about that seat on the show last week. Um, Kelly Thompson is on the Court of Appeals and Sean Alcott has the support of a lot of big name Republicans and conservative PACs have poured money into that race. They've also poured money into Justice Keller's race against state rep. Joe Fisher, a staunch anti-abortion advocate who's running a very partisan race. The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals has now enjoined the Judicial Conduct Commission from initiating any proceedings against him, at least for now. Um, and so those are kind of the two Supreme Court races that have become a little bit partisan. The other one is, is in Louisville. Justice Hughes is retiring. Angela Bissig, who is a circuit court judge in Louisville, is running against Jason Bowman for the seat. Jason Bowman has his own family law practice, but Judge Bissig has had her eye on this seat uh, for a long time and has a significant money advantage. Um, She has TV ads and Bowman's 30-day report is the most recent available and shows only about $3,000 to Bissig's um, over $200,000. And so, I think that she is probably going to win that race.
0: Uh, I don't. I've heard a lot about Angela Bissick. I haven't heard anything about um, Jason Bowman, like at all. So
1: yeah. So for a court of appeals races, most of those seats um, are not challenged, um, but we do have two open seats in Louisville, and so voters will be able to vote for both of them. So any registered voter. In Jefferson County, we'll see both races on their ballot. In the first race, um, Audra Eckerley is running against appellate attorney Tricia Lister. Eckerley is a circuit court judge in Louisville. She's got the FOP endorsement and also the majority of the labor endorsements, while Tricia Lister has um, the Food and Commercial Workers, CFAIR Standing Up, Louisville standing up for race, racial justice in um, the Political Women's Council. And then in the other Court of Appeals race, Jefferson District Court Judge Annette Karam is running against State Representative Mackenzie Cantrell, who um, was redistricted out of her seat. She was going to be running against another sitting representative, um, so she decided to run for Court of Appeals. Judge Karam was a prosecutor prior to becoming a district court judge, and Mackenzie Cantrell has worked for the Equal Justice Center as an employment law attorney. Mackenzie Cantrell has the Labor Seafair standing up for racial justice and the Better Schools Kentucky endorsements in her race. Um, And interestingly, Citizens for Better Judges, which is a group in Louisville made up of um, all different types of attorneys who has a a pretty serious vetting and interviewing process, they did not endorse in either Court of Appeals race.
0: Cowards. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I I think that's really interesting because there are two current sitting judges who are running and they did not endorse either of them.
0: That's a good point. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> so I That, that I
0: may be that a clear. clue there. That may be a clue. Yeah. Uh,
1: there are only a couple other court of appeals races that are even opposed. Another one is kind of one of these partisan races. Um, judge Suzanne Citrulo, the newest appointed court of appeals judge, has an opponent, Robert Winter. Um, who has joined Joe Fisher's free speech lawsuit regarding the the Judicial Conduct Commission. And then Jeff Taylor in the second district also has an opponent, David Clement. I couldn't find a lot of information about that race. Um, But the others are all running unopposed. And then we have circuit court. So circuit court's a court of general jurisdiction that hears civil matters um, and criminal felonies. Um, And so family courts are also a division of circuit court. The biggest circuit court race is certainly in Franklin County. We've talked about that race a lot. Judge Philip Shepard is running for reelection and as opposed for the first time in 16 years. And Joe Bilby, who's general counsel for the Kentucky Department of Agriculture, is running against him. And that's a race that conservative PAC money has been poured into. Um, In Fayette County, only one circuit court race is opposed. Judge Jeffrey Taylor was appointed by Bashir to fill a term. And then Diane Minifield came out of the primary to run against him. Minifield is a longtime county attorney who's practiced in nearly every division in that office. County attorneys typically work in district court and then family court sometimes. um, So I'm not sure how much extensive circuit court experience she has, but she is endorsed by Seafair. Jeffrey Taylor worked at Landrum and Shouse before being appointed to the bench, and he has a lot of endorsements from local attorneys in the community, um, but I couldn't find any kind of like labor endorsements in this race. I don't know if they really get involved in races in Lexington, but I couldn't find anything like that. Family uh, Fayette County also has a contested family court race. Carl Devine was appointed by Governor Bashir and is running to keep his seat. He's endorsed by Seafair, Jim Gray, um, former Justice Noble, Judge er- Ernesto Scorsoni, the People's Campaign, and also Ravi Moss, Tim Couch, and Rex Chapman.
0: Two number twos, Tim Couch yeah. and Ravi Moss. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Tiffany Yar is running against him, and um, she works for the Cabinet for Health and Family Services, and she has the FOP endorsement. In Louisville, there are a lot of contested races. Um, the only s- incumbent judge who drew a challenger is Judge Mary Shaw, who is known for signing the Breonna Taylor warrant. Um, she did get the endorsement of Citizens for Better judges, um, who... Elected not to endorse other incumbent judges in some races, but they did choose to endorse her in this race. Her, her challenger, do, Tracy Davis, does have the majority of the labor endorsements along with uh, Better Schools Kentucky, who is JCTA's political arm, Fair, and standing up for racial justice. So that's, So that's the only incumbent seat that's challenged. The other seats are all open seats. And then in district court, there are a ton of open seats as well as a few incumbents being challenged. Um, I have all those races listed in our show notes that will be in our newsletter. Um, But we we wouldn't have time to talk about all of those races on our show. Um, So you'll have to get our newsletter to read about those. But there are so many um, election guides for judicial races now. And so there's a lot of ways to learn about these races now, Um, but there's a basic guide. They'll all be on the back of your ballot, and that's also where those ballot amendments will
0: be yep please 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 get the newsletter tinyletter.com slash mile kentucky newsletter to get the rest of this jasmine's gone through a lot if you live in louisville vote for yvette de la guardia that's all we have to say about that on the show um and then also we didn't mention the amendments vote no on both amendments please amendment two is the abortion amendment uh, amendment one is about the legislator being able to call itself back in a session but don't vote for that one either um but that has been our election preview. It's been long. It's been storied. A lot of stuff happened. And that's it. So here we are for 2022. We'll be back next week to talk about the results. So without any further ado, let's get to our interview with Lexington Mayor Linda Gorton.
1: Linda Gorton is the mayor of Lexington, Fayette County. She was first elected to that position in 2018, and she stands for re-election next week. Uh, Before becoming mayor, she served two terms as council at large, including one term as the vice mayor, and then four terms as a council member from District 4. Um, professionally, Mayor Gorton worked as a nurse. So, Linda Gorton, welcome to my Old Kentucky podcast. Thank you.
2: I'm really happy to be with you.
0: Yeah, we're thrilled that you've, you've joined us. Uh, we, we're big fans. We've been following you for quite a long time. So I'm happy to have you on our show. Um, so you've spent almost the past two decades in public service. And so I would love for you to just think back all the way to 1998, which is, as far as I can tell, is the first time that you ran for public office. And, and tell us what was running through your head at that time. Why did you decide to get into public service originally?
2: Well, it's an interesting question. And I was working my nursing job at the time. In fact, I worked my nursing job the entire time I was on council, except when I was vice mayor. And um, so Isabel Yates, do you know her? She's a, a beloved person here in Lexington, was vice mayor and was the fourth district council member. And she announced she wasn't going to run. And one morning I was at the breakfast table with my husband. And I said, you know, I think I could do that job <laughs> and knew nothing about politics. And um, so I kind of spent a couple weeks calling people and investigating to see what it would be like. And the funny part was a couple weeks later, I said to my husband, I think I'm going to run and he said, what? <laughs> he, you know, he didn't know I was getting a little serious about it. So I talked to a lot of friends and I ran. And that first race, I, it was four men and myself. So there were five of us running. And of course, it was an open seat. So um, and I, you know, got elected. So that kind of began my, um, my work in public service
0: yeah no that's that's an amazing story and i mean back you know back then which you know it's crazy for me i i still think of 1998 is not that long ago either but uh, i mean back then uh things were different and it was kind of unusual for for um women to be uh super involved although it wasn't unheard of and i i do remember isabel yates uh the kentucky theater was a place i went to a lot when i lived in lexington and i know she was wow very active uh, in that space I, I, I do remember her from from that so um, yeah so you you have been involved for quite a long time uh, and and you know nearly two decades and that's a long time to be involved in public service and from from my perspective I think that's especially true when it's in city government I think sometimes people can kind of get stuck in you know Congress US Congress and even state legislature you know you can kind of like sit on the back bench and do your own thing but when you're in city government it's you're doing it uh, a that's lot right. and you've got a lot of stuff that you're responsible for it's the one that's the most close to the people. Um, so why have you decided to stick with it this long? Why, why, I mean, why did you decide to run for re-election this year as opposed to winning all the way back in 1998?
2: Well, you know, I did have, after, uh, I went off the council, I did have four years of retirement, <laughs> so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I really missed, I missed a lot about the challenge of serving. And so, um, That's why I got back in it in 2018. This time, it's different because what I know right now is I love the job. And even with what these four years have been, which have been very tough, I found out it's a really good fit for me. You know, nurses do a lot of the same thing that leaders in local government should do, which is... I mean, basically, we're trained to assess problems and then get to planning and action. And so it's a great fit for me. And there's still things that I want to accomplish for our city. So it's fairly simple, you know? I love my job, I love working for the people.
0: That's really awesome to hear somebody who was the mayor of any city over the past four years to say that they still love their job. I think that that's uh, a real testament to, to passion for city government. That's for sure. Alright, so Lexington as a city is a place where politicians, I mean, in the past and, and really currently now, uh, have to work a long time to rise in the ranks b- before becoming leaders. You know, you you mentioned how long ago uh, it was we when you first started, but before you, you know, Jim Gray was the vice mayor and been, had been involved in the council for a long time. Uh, Teresa Isaac was the same way. She was the vice mayor. Pam Miller before her, she was the vice mayor. And really even Jim Newberry was around quite a bit before he became the mayor, even if he hadn't mm-hmm. been in, in city government. So tell us um, I mean, what do you think, why do you think it is that that experience is, is maybe even more important in Lexington than in other places around the state and the country? Uh, and, and is it a good thing that all of Lexington Lexington's mayors have had like this, this significant experience before stepping into leadership for the whole city?
2: Oh, I, I think uh, that kind of experience is really important. All those mayors you mentioned, I was on the council and served uh, when they were mayor. And... Um, The thing about uh, having experience inside government and being the ones you mentioned, except for Jim Newberry, were the vice mayor beforehand. And what it teaches you is how government processes work. And, you know, what you learn is that government's a really different animal. It is not like business, Mm -hmm. Uh, you can apply some of those principles to it, which we always try to do. But the bottom line in business is a financial profit, right? So that's not the bottom line in government. The bottom line in government is providing services to people. And I think this is what I truly love about it. And it's what makes it different from all kinds of other jobs. And so when you're providing services for people, And you're not thinking about making a financial profit. You're always thinking about sticking with your budget, you know, not overspending, but you're using tax dollars. It's people's money. It's not your own money. So um, I have learned over the years that those mayors who have that kind of experience and understanding really do better in terms of the, the mechanisms of running government because basically you're a CEO of 3,000 people, a company with 3,000 people, right? And um, that's how many employees we have. So very different. And um, I think that experience is really critical. Yeah.
1: So, you know, we wanted to talk to you about some of the issues in your campaign. You've highlighted issues that include workforce development, economic development, public safety, and maintaining Lexington's rural-urban balance. And these are issues which any mayoral administration in Lexington has faced and issues that you've been working on the last four years. Um, So if you're reelected, what are um, specific ways that the next four years will be different from the last four?
2: Well, uh, some of the topics you named will still be there. Um one of the uh, specific things I think about workforce is that some of it we will do the same. And then some of it we're working on some innovative ways to help people with their job skills. And um, we we have stood up during my four years, we stood up Worklex, which is a partnership of about fourteen businesses. And nonprofits who have joined together to work at the Charles Young Center. And they teach people how to write resumes, how to apply for jobs, how to do an interview. There are a lot of people who need jobs who don't know how to do those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll do some of that. This term, we had the first ever city expungement clinic job fair. So what we did was the city had partnered with some other folks to do those in the past. But this time, we did our own and it was in a huge room at the new Central Bank Center. And we had uh, attorneys and uh, folks who could look at people's records and see if they were uh, if they qualified to have their criminal record expunged. And if they did, it was done on the spot. And then when they got all that completed, they went right over to the other side of the room and were able to sign up for job interviews. We had about 100 companies represented there. It was was wonderful. And so we're going to do that again. That was a first for us, and it was very successful. Um, Economic development. You will probably know that... um, We took possession this summer of 200 acres of land at Coldstream. That was in the UK city land swap uh, a couple years ago. So we are ready to start developing that. We had to get possession of it. We now have the deed and we're starting to work on the infrastructure uh, for that 200 acres. And so we'll be um, looking to bring in companies and we have a really specific focus, which I brought with me into the mayor's office, and that is for ag tech. We have a really strong partnership with All Tech University of Kentucky College of Ag and the uh, State Commissioner of Agriculture. And so we have put together a plan The city has put a million dollars into this effort and we're going before the ag development board to try to get a match for that. And we will stand up a new office for attracting and expanding and growing the ag tech businesses that are here or that want to come here. And it's, it'll be a, a major push for us and we've, um, learned a lot about that sector and we're really in a great position to grow it. And then let's see, what else did you mention? You mentioned public safety, mm-hmm. I think. And so our we have several initiatives going on. You've probably read about the work we're doing with police to increase their salaries and uh, therefore lower their overtime because, you know, frequently the pay is, very important, of course, but as important is the quality of the job and liking the job, satisfaction. So we're working hard on that piece as well as our One Lexington. I don't know if you're familiar with One Lexington. We, um, I hired Divine Karama a year ago, a little more than a year ago now. And what he and his team do is work directly with young people, who have been impacted by violence. He's working with that age group that's 13 to 29. And this is a a focus in many ways. He has partnered with uh, mediators to go into the schools when two kids are getting ready to duke it out and take it outside. He's worked with scholarships Some of the businesses are providing scholarships for kids who wouldn't ordinarily go to college. Um, He has a group of about 100 men, uh, African-American men here, who are mentoring these uh, boys and young men who don't have a father in the family. And so on and so on and so on. And after a little more than a year, we have already seen some movement in the violence numbers. And, you know, when people talk about crime and violence, the devil's in the details and they have to know what they're talking about. So uh, if you compare now with a year ago, our gun homicides in the 13 to 29-year-old group has decreased by 50%. That's a huge step forward. This is massive amounts of work. resources, working with families to get on a different path away from violence, that kind of thing. So it's a, um, it's a really, really good piece we're working on. It's about community intervention with violence. And then we've been a community policing uh, city for a long time. So we continue that focus also.
1: Yeah, it's certainly a a root (laughs) cause issue and you're never going to see, um, you know, numbers change overnight and the numbers never tell the full story. Mm-hmm. Um, but so sounds like some plans for the future. Um, but we want to talk about one of your, your years <laughs> as mayor so far. Um, you were the mayor during 2020, um, which I yeah, think <laughs> may have been the most difficult year um, in American history to be in charge of a city probably. Um, Reflecting back on both the initial reaction to COVID and also um, racial justice protests that occurred in 2020, can you tell us a few ways um, your administration reacted that you are proud of and also a few things that you learned in 2020?
2: Uh, 2020 was a very difficult year. And arguably, as you said, arguably one of the worst, if not the worst in the last, I would say, 100 years, because that's when our previous pandemic was, uh, 1918, so about 100 years ago. And, um, you know, the pandemic itself was uh, a huge challenge. Fortunately, as a nurse, I could actually see it coming and understand what some of it meant, even though we didn't understand the virus, right? But what it did was uh, allowed me to go ahead before we ever had uh, COVID cases here in Lexington. And I stood up in February of 2020, I stood up a stakeholder group with many business representatives, all the universities and colleges here, Uh, healthcare folks, we sat around a huge table together the last time my stakeholder group was together, and we shared what we were each doing to get ready for the pandemic. And it was kind of funny because one of the council members told me he thought I'd lost my mind, (laughs) and uh, really, COVID was only on the West Coast then, but it was coming, and so... The way I operate normally as a leader is with a lot of input from a lot of different kinds of folks. I have an excellent senior leader team that I've put into place, and I pick their brains on everything. Now, during the the pandemic, uh, you'll remember a lot of decisions had to be made quickly And so I couldn't get a lot of input from people in the community. Mm -hmm. So I closed nursing homes. I closed our jail. I closed our senior center right away because I knew that that group uh, togetherness was not good. Do you remember when no one knew if the virus lived on surfaces? Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) everyone was like... Clorox, wiping, everything. Right, right. Well, I tell you, I still do that. <laughs> but, but I'm a nurse. Uh, but what we did was the fir- one of the first things we did, because because local government's responsible for serving. So we pick up the garbage and we never stopped picking up the garbage. But we outfitted all of our waste workers in gloves and masks and suits because we didn't know when they're moving that Herbie, what they're touching. Mm-hmm. So things like that, that we had to decide every single day based on uh, the information. And then you pile on what you said. We piled on the racial um, the racial protests and reforms because out of that came some really good yeah, things definitely. for us. I uh, For me, it was an aha moment. It was people begging for help. And, that's what uh, gave me the idea to uh, form my commission on racial justice and equality. And we're now working through those 54 recommendations and we've accomplished over half of them. And some of them now seem so simple, like uh, paying for and equipping every single police officer with the body cams. And uh, we got the ones that automatically turn on if a if a, um, an officer draws their weapon or their taser. I mean, uh, we put two people, civilians on the internal disciplinary board. I mean, a lot of those kinds of things, and it's been really good here. So, um, it was a, uh, challenge, but I think that Lexington really came through it very well. Um, you know, we uh, we have maintained our financial strength and stability here, and um, we just uh, worked through every day what the latest issues were, and then we continued to provide the services that people expect.
0: Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, 2020 presented so many people with so many different challenges. And, and just like everything else, like city government probably gets the least noticed and has the most to do. Uh, and it, it, I did notice, I mean, something that Lexington really did was dig into the details of what needed to happen and, and really mm-hmm. try to approach it from what's going to have the biggest, you know, uh, bang for the effort. And, and it does seem like a lot of stuff has happened. So that is it has been very neat to watch. So
2: it's- been great, really. Um, If I could mention one other thing, we received national recognition. You may have read about our efforts with testing and then with vaccine clinics. We took them deep into the neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. We went door to door with Spanish-speaking, Spanish and English literature. We We had such a solid program there and we were able to become the most highly vaccinated county in the state. And it just took a lot of hard work. Right.
0: Yeah, it did. Ooh. I remember, you know, for a long time, we thought Woodford was ahead of you guys. But then we figured out that they were cheating. Yeah. So <laughs> well,
2: they were all coming here. To
0: get yeah, that's right. That's right. So um, <laughs> that's
2: okay, though. Yeah,
0: well, it was it was it was yeah. good. And, and you know, the, yeah. the 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 relationship between right. between Lexington and its collar counties is something else that's really interesting. We won't get into that too much. But uh, yeah. um, um, one of the things I did want to ask you about, though, so Lexington is unique in the state of Kentucky, really, in that uh, it has a nonpartisan government. Um, and and, uh Lexington uh, but you know one of the things is is that Lexington which is is also unique uh, in in that it don't it elects Democrats pretty much up and down the ballot uh Louisville and Lexington are are kind of unique in Kentucky in in this day and age. Um, one of the things that we've noticed as residents of Louisville is that sometimes the state government takes a bit of a vindictive uh, path because of that, in, in our opinion. And, um, and you know, that, that's been kind of tough to manage. And because city government is kind of a creature of state government, state or city government exists because of the laws that are put in place by state government, uh, it gets a little dicey here. Lexington doesn't really have to deal with that. We we haven't seen like the uh, bills that are, are trying to reopen your merger agreement, change the way that you guys are structured. Um, I, I don't know if that's necessarily because of the nonpartisan nature of Lexington's government or what, but can you tell us a little bit about how you as a leader of Lexington manage your relationship with the Republican government in Frankfurt and if there is any tension or, or what do you do to kind of diffuse that kind of stuff or, or, or how has it been how has it gone over the past four years?
2: Well I first of all I love the nonpartisan uh, service. And for me that's that is like the beauty one of the big beauties of serving as mayor here is you don't have to pay attention to partisan politics for governing or for legislation or anything here. Um, when I first became mayor, uh, you will remember I was mayor. My first year was 2019 and governor Bevan was in office. And so the way I operate with the state is that I, excuse me, I uh, go meet people. I'm Most nurses are connectors and communicators, and I happen to love that part of my job. So I went over, talked with Governor Bevan. He wanted to know what my priorities were with the city and for the city. And then the next thing I did, because this, the legislature was in session, was go over there and meet some legislators. I didn't have an agenda at that time. I wasn't asking anything from them but I wanted to meet them and establish relationships. So then the governor changed and uh, Governor Bashir came in. And so I repeated that and went over to meet with him. And we ended up having a meeting once, uh, let's see, did we do once a week for a long time with him and uh, Mayor Fisher? We were on a call together during the pandemic. And I also went over and met with the legislators and uh, Republicans and Democrats and just to establish a relationship. And that paid off because last year we needed some legislation to make some changes to our police and fire pension. And we couldn't do that without the state. So I reached out to a couple of the legislators with whom I'd made a uh, relationship, and they carried the bills for us. It's very important, you know, you have to, from my perspective, one of the important things for a mayor to do is establish relationships. I've done it with all the county judge executives around, with the mayors of uh, Richmond and um, Georgetown and, you know, all over, because we need to work with them. So I'm For me, it's about partnering and meeting them and talking with them and helping them understand our priorities. And I think that goes a long way, you know.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I think it absolutely does. I mean, and that's something that we have seen in Louisville quite a bit is, you know, you have to manage those relationships very carefully. Um, And and it is it's another one of those things that the leaders of cities have to worry about uh, because because of the way that the state government works. Um, the the largest and I don't know maybe the most important institution in the city of Lexington is the University of Kentucky. It's a big big part of of the city, um, mm-hmm. and, and the relationship between the city of Lexington and the University of Kentucky uh, is long storied, complex. Uh, there, it, there's there's been a lot of chapters to that book, uh, and, <laughs> and and you know I know that you know um, your your tenure and, and uh, President Capiluto have I guess he was there a little bit before you, um, mm-hmm. but but you know you you have spent the last four years working with him. Um, so I'm interested in how, you know, you hope for the relationship between Lexington and UK to evolve over the next four years.
2: Well, I have a great relationship with Dr. Capaluto and I think he would say the same. I've heard him say in public, we have the best university city relation he's ever seen. Um, part of that is that I... <laughs> Uh, for me, working with UK didn't just start when I became mayor. I have served on the College of Nursing Advisory Board for a number of years, the Dean's Advisory Board. I serve on the Martin School Board of Visitors. I have for a number of years. Um, I'm a UK graduate, so I care very much. UK is our largest employer. And so they are a huge part of our community. And I... um, Early on in my tenure as mayor, uh, Dr. Capilouto invited me to come over and uh, share, bring my senior leader team, and he had his senior leader team there, and we shared our goals with each other. And of course, that was in 2019 before the pandemic, but it had a huge impact because in our conversations we understood we were kind of all in this together. He cares about public safety. He cares about the economy. Um, you know, they produce a lot of students who we want to stay here and attract to our jobs here. So we work on some of that. I mean, it's uh, it's a really good effort. Long before that, I co-chaired the town and gown commission. So for me, it was like a natural partnership with the university. And of course, I have established that same partnership with Dr. Acapo at BCTC and President Lewis at Trancy and Dr. Liggins at Fayette County Public Schools. All of us have a good relationship that we've built up. So um, I love partnerships and working with people like Dr. Capilouto and others to make our city better, you know.
0: (laughs) Yep, I I mean, and, and it is it is such an important institution, and education as an issue is so important as well. Um, you know, it's an important institution to Jasmine and I. I, th- I have three degrees from UK. I think Jasmine's just got oh. two, so oh. you know. Well, Jasmine,
2: <laughs> you got to catch up. Yeah,
0: <laughs> one of hers is a one of yeah. hers is a JD. So you know, hers is probably outranks my. <laughs> that's
2: pretty good. My I NASCAR. only have one. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, uh, Okay, so so you know, Greg Fisher here in Louisville is termed out. He can't run again. Um, and I it is know. and it and it is kind of of a tough, tough for him because um, cities. Uh, got a bunch of money from the federal government uh, this this time. It's kind of a unique and interesting opportunity that it, maybe nothing like it has ever happened before. Where um, there is just a lot of money that's flowing into city budgets right now, and and you know uh, Greg Fisher could come up with the plans, but whoever comes after him has to actually enact those. And you're in a different spot where you yeah. are actually able to put together the plans. And if you get reelected, you're going to have the chance to actually carry them out. So for these ARPA funds, tell us about a few of the projects, just a few um, that you're the most excited about. About and, and, you know, what is your hope for what this funding will do to the city and how it will change it?
2: When we knew we were going to get this money, I crafted a list of recommendations to the council. And it had things like affordable housing, um, the park's master plan, um, developing the Cardinal Run North Park, which we've owned for years and haven't had the money to develop, um, homelessness. It, it had... A lot on it. Financial supplements to our employees. You'll remember those were one of the allowed uses. And of course, they kept us going. Uh, we did capital grants to nonprofits, and that's going well. So, so we have already um, completed many of the. Uh, projects that the arpa money was designated for it's all but a very tiny amount of our arpa money i think it's around a million dollars has been designated and we have been in the process of signing the agreements with the entities who are going to receive it and what if it's a a project that they're doing they have to give us a bill so to speak so we uh, we have some really tight controls we don't just Hand all the money out. We want to be sure that the project gets done. We've already seen several of those completed. And we're really excited because uh, you're right, with these next four years, I'll be able to oversee all of those. And um, we're, I think, you know, one of the things that we did was look toward a lot of quality of life things. I mentioned the parks master plan. We put $10 million into that. And that does everything from replace playgrounds that are falling down or need of help to new diving boards, to building restrooms on on parks. I mean, it's everything in the master plan. And, um, You know, our our employees got those supplements early on for their work in the pandemic. And they were so grateful because they kept working through the whole pandemic. And um, the nonprofits have been applying for the capital grants. And that money is now helping build roofs or replace HVAC or... Uh, you know, lots of different things, generators for nonprofits, and they usually don't have money to do the capital improvements. You know, they're just trying to get enough money to run their programs. So we've got a lot of innovative things going on with that ARPA money. And it's been a really great thing for people here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, (laughs) Mayor Gorton, thank you so much for coming on um, here in... Time and over <laughs> yeah that that's all we have for you but here okay. in the last week of the campaign uh, tell us how people can learn more about you or get involved in your campaign
2: well I'm on Lindagorton.com I'm on Twitter Facebook Facebook is a good has a lot on it about me Instagram people people can go to any of those and find out about me. Um, They can, you know, volunteer, um, get a yard sign, donate all those good things that candidates need. And I just want to say to you that um, uh, this job really is for me the honor of a lifetime because the people put me in this job. And I, you know, I really consider myself a servant leader. Um, You know, it's all about the people. And so I've told people in government, when we lose focus on serving people, then we need to pivot and do things differently. But I'm really built for this and I'm looking forward to four more years.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, best of luck to you next week in the election. And thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciated having you on.
2: Thanks. Great for having me.
0: Jasmine, how can people get a hold of us?
1: You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at my old pod. You can like our Facebook page and listen to our podcast on the podcast app of your choice. We also have a newsletter. You can subscribe to it at tinyletter.com slash my old Kentucky newsletter. And we have a Patreon page where you can support what we're doing for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at patreon.com slash my old Kentucky Podcast. And last but not least, we're part of the Dimcast Network and the Forward Kentucky Network.
0: All right, everybody. Thank you for listening and we will see you next week.
1: All right.